Okay, um, I guess um, paying respects to um, the other and the terrible people and um, paying respects to everybody else that made the effort to come along here today, Mark and Travelling and um, Robbie and other people. And um, I guess um, I'd like to say a special thank you to the, the younger people who got this together. You've done really well, you've done really well. And, um, you know, this is um, another example of um, not having to sit around and wait for someone else to, to give something to you. These fellas um, got off their um, backsides, no money, no nothing, and they were organised this today and be able to pull this together as well as the embassy and everything else. So, um, you know, full marks to, to young people who are involved in it. Um, and um, I guess if I ran over and died tomorrow, I'd be quite comfortable. No, it's going to keep on going. The question's not going to stop being asked, and that's, that's what it's about. But I guess um, going from what Mark is, Mark's covered it pretty well. I guess um, it's something that's been, um, I guess, for the last... I just want to ask everybody to stand, I guess, for, for a minute's silence. We've lost a lot of people in the last... Um, 12 months and one, one in particular has been Isabel Kay. We went down, um, brother Doodaloo and I went with and, um, sister Gwenda there and they were all fortunate to go down to the, to the funeral and, and participate in the funeral, represent Brisbane Mob. Um, but um, she was a pioneer and um, when I talk about these people, these people are just as... Um, just as important as Malcolm X or Martin Luther King or um, I guess the old lady that jumped in the bus in Mississippi. Um, we should be speaking, we should be speaking about these people. When we speak about these people like um, Isabel Coe, we should be speaking of there in the same in the same same demeanor as what we refer to um, any of the freedom fighters in America. These are the are great people, Uncle Don Brady. The people that you see around this wall here, they're the people that, um, you know, a lot of people look at sports people and footballers as um, heroes. Well, they're not heroes, they're, they're role models. They're role models. These people here that you see around here, people like Isabel Cope, and Robbie was here in 82, Julie's been here, other people have been here, they're heroes. They're the heroes. Because every time we walk down them streets in those illegal marches, we had the guns pointed at us. We had guns with real bullets pointed at us. Real bullets. In 1982 in this city, they were so shit scared of 3,000 blackfellas being in that park that they declared martial law. Martial law. They brought the army out of those... everywhere, out of Wakefield here, out here on the streets against 3,000 blackfellas. None of us over 25 in that park. That's what I call heroes. Men and women that were willing to go out illegally. In that two weeks, if you wore the colours in this town, we were getting locked up three and four hundred at a time in jail. Marches, every time we went out on that street, we were getting locked up forty and fifty at a time. And when you went to jail in those days, you didn't walk out of jail, you usually ended up in hospital because they flogged the shit out of you in the jail to the point where you woke up on the cell floor with no clothes on and bleeding. 
and then you went to the hospital. This is what I'm talking about. This is when, when you went to jail in those days. That's what happened. This river here, this river here, during that time and leading up to that time, once wasn't wasn't unusual to find a black body in the river. They'd pick you up over here, flog the shit out of you, throw you in the river. And if you swam, you swam. If you, if you drowned, you drowned. And it was, wasn't unusual. We used to drink all along here, all the way along here, all the way down there. I was 14. We weren't just drinking in the Musgrove Park. We used to camp and live all the way along here. And they were pulling bodies out of here all the time. So when we talk about these people, Isabel, and we talk about Uncle Don Brady, and we talk about Dennis Walker, and we talk about Rossi Watson and, and, and all the other families that have the, the courage to come here and fight, and the people on Palm Island, and the people on Yarraba, and the Gurindji Walker, and all these milestones, the Mile Creek Massacre. When we talk about, and we talk about Pamela, and we talk about Dundalee, and we talk about all these warriors, and we talk about all these heroes, they're heroes. And they're just as important as Sitting Bull or Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela. But there's one quote that we all forget and that we all fall in and this is a trap that we fall into. And that trap is, is that, you know, we're bloody fools. We're fools. What fools would send their kids to the enemy to get educated? You know, we'd start sovereignty, Everything starts at home, in your house, with your family. It starts there. The truth, the education. You don't send your kids off to a school and expect them to come back and be the next Martin Luther King or the next Don Brady or the next Dennis Walker or the next Robbie Thorpe or the next Mark McMurtry. Don't expect it. You're foolish if you do. We've got to start this stuff and it starts with us and... The opportunity to start this stuff was given to us by a lot of those heroes. By a lot of those heroes. And so we honour those heroes with a minute of silence. Just remember about those heroes, those people. That's the legacy. Um, their memory only dies when we started to stop educating our kids about them. So just um, remember those fellows for the next minute. Thank you. Okay, um, have a seat. I guess I won't keep you too long, but um, I guess where I start from is that in terms of the, the sovereignty, sovereignty and self-determination and a lot of other words go hand in glove, and um, we've been doing a lot of work over the, you know, the last, I guess, um, if you have a look at that photo around there, you'll see a bloke painting a a sign up there in the, in the wall. Well, that was me when I was 19. And um, I just, um, when we got turned down and we arrested, so um, when I was here in 82, we were getting 19 year olds, we were getting locked up and that sort of stuff here. Um, so I've seen, I've seen a fair bit happen in Aboriginal politics and Aboriginal Australia. I guess um, a lot of people come and go and a lot of um, things change. And I think. Um, I sit back sometimes and it's, um, it's, um, it's quite amazing how much has changed, how much has changed and how, how fast it has changed and, and how it has changed. And um, 
I look at it, for me, I grew up on a, a dirt floor, much the same as a lot of your parents, much the same as my other brothers here and sisters here. I grew up on a dirt floor on the bank of the river because we weren't allowed to live in the towns. And um, up until 1967, my first five years of my life, I was considered an animal, part of the flora and fauna. Um, we've heard Mark talk about that with the 67 referendum, but prior to 1967, that's all blackfellas were, and it wasn't illegal to shoot us. So that was still the, the state of play when I was growing up. So I've seen a lot of things happen, you know. I've seen, um, only in 82, 1982, I saw, um, for the first time, all the prisoner of war camps, and these are Sherberg, Warabinda, Yarrabah, Mornington Island, you go through Dumaji, all those were set up as prisoner of war camps. That's where the worst of the worst black ones were sent. That's where the troublemakers were sent. That's where the ones that didn't want to be Jackie Jackies, that's where they were sent in Queensland. Well, I actually saw that and saw those communities be handed back. This here, this march here, created a situation where all those missions, all those prisoner of war camps were actually handed back to Aboriginal management, where those people in those communities had a chance to govern and manage those communities and take possession of those communities the first time. A couple of years later, I saw New South Wales introduce land rights and they took 70% of the state land tax for 10 years was given to blackfellas in New South Wales. I saw, I guess, the Northern Territory and the South Australian Land Rights Act come out. So we've seen a lot of things a lot of things come and go, but I've also seen the NAC, which was a, a go at national, a national voice, a national government. I've seen ASIC come and go. I've seen Congress now try and sit up there and do things. So we've seen all these things come and go. And a lot of things, um, some good, some bad. But the last... The last 20 years, the last 20 years, I guess, has been the hardest. The hardest questions, um, the hardest time for Aboriginal Australia, for First Nations people in Australia. The last 20 years has been the hardest. All those other changes that have come about came about because they were social justice changes. They were changes that the average Australian and the average person around here could relate to what was happening in the deep south of America. People could relate to that. They could relate to what was happening in Mississippi or in, in, down in um, Tennessee or some other Ku Klux Klan movement. They could relate all this stuff to Australia up until the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, it's been real hard for the rest of Australia, non-First Nations people, to relate to what is going on in First Nations Australia. It's been really hard. 
Prior to that, it was quite easy. The questions were black and white. The 1967 referendum example, for example, was a simple question. A simple question. Are these people animals or part of the flora fauna or do we consider them as being human, human beings? So 97% of the Australian public decided, okay, they were humans, that we were human. That was supposed to be the real hard question to answer. But it was a bloody hard question. It cost them a lot of money and a lot of effort because a lot of people I don't think could read. But that was the question. Are these people human or are they not? And it took, up, you know, it took ages for them to answer that question. And we almost lost it. We almost lost it. You know? It's a pretty, it's a pretty scary thing. You know, it reminds me of what was happening in 1938 in Germany. You know, it reminds me of what was happening in the 1800s up to the 1900s and 1930s in America. It was a bloody hard question. Take us to the last couple of months, six months ago. We had the same thing. We had a question, a referendum, where the rest of Australia was going to come together. They were going to spend $200 million on the question about ownership, constitutional change about recognising the ownership of First Nations people to their country. You've all heard about it? You need this constitutional change so that you, First Nations people, know that you once owned this country. That's what I, and it's going to mean bugger all to you anyway, but we're going to spend $200 million on it. The first time Black Australia has been able to stand up and argue and say to people, shove your constitutional change up your ass. we don't need another change, we don't need to worry about it. We don't need the $200 million. We don't need Mick Dodson, Pat Dodson, Marcia Langton and, and everyone else that's on this in, ex, um, exceptional panel, Noel Pearson, uh, expert panel that worked three years to devise four questions about that basically summed up the situation that we no longer own the country. Four, that's been all that money did. It must be a really confusing situation, but my kids know the difference between when they've got a bag of lollies and they haven't got a bag of lollies. You know, it's, it's not a difficult situation. And you don't need PhDs or doctorates to work it out. But this is a situation. and So I've seen that happen. We've all seen that happen. So the first time in history we've actually been able to tell the government don't set up another situation where we're forced to chase our tails and argue between ourselves. We've been through the situation where people say, oh, you can't say that in public, you can't denigrate another black person, you can't talk about it like that. Well, that's bullshit. And I've always said it's bullshit because we've always had good black fellas and bad black fellas since the day that Ben Long decided to go with Philip and yeah, um, Pamela decided to throw a spear at him. Yeah, we've always had it. It's part of, part of haves and haves not. That's part of colonialism. It's existed here. So all these things are given, but they're not taught. And um, if they're not taught in the schools, that's why people turn up here and, and then try to listen to something. And there's always people that try to um, procure other things by lack of information or giving out the wrong information. Sovereignty, sovereignty is something... Um, 
well, it's a word, but it's um, sovereignty is something that you either have or you don't have. And um, right now, in what we this continent here that people call Australia, we've got two groups that are have differing opinions on on sovereignty. You have um, First Nations people that believe that sovereignty is is this was something that we have and we've never seceded. And then you have the colonial, I guess the powers that have come here and um, the dominant society made up of non-Pernation people that believe that the Commonwealth and all their infrastructure gives them dominion and gives them sovereignty over this country. So that question is always going to be argued and it's going to be argued by other people like Mark, Michael Mansell or other lawyers going to be argued in the courts, it's going to be argued everywhere else and that's good because the more people that are arguing about it maybe one day we'll come up with a solution to it. But me and other people I guess and where I come from is that we believe we've never given up. We don't believe we give it up. Every day we practice it. Every day we participate in a Cold War situation, that's the only way you can decide the coexistence at, at the moment and that exists in Australia and that has existed until such time as this question. The question of sovereignty is answered. There will always be two societies that, that occupy this country, two groups that occupy this country and two groups that assert sovereignty. So, and then they will always have conflicting um, areas that when they come together and so therefore you have a Cold War situation where um, you're not spearing each other and you're not shooting each other but you're still arguing the point and you're still fighting each other over that word of sovereignty. So that Cold War will always go on and it will go on until such time the sovereignty question is going to be answered. But as Mark said and other people have said, this government is hell-bent on not answering that question and has thrown money after money after money to avoid answering that question. And that'll always happen until such time as Mark's able to get his court case up or Michael Anderson's been able to get a case up or someone else gets a case up. But um, you know, until that such time, I, I take the attitude is that um, we've got to, um, got to be the agitator and um, make sure that that fights kept there and that that, that fights um, from our side of the fence is always going to be keeping going. And um, the, I guess the, the processes um, that are there is that for every action that the dominant society throws at our people, we have got to counter and we have got to have an army and we've got to counter that. Whether it's in the street, whether it's in the classrooms, whether it's in the children's services office, in the docks, whether it's in the court every day, whether it's catching a bus, whether it's raising an embassy, whether it's going to participate in a, in a mining hearing, every, everything, our job, my job as a Puma man, as a warrior, is to be able to defend our sovereignty at every opportunity that we have. Every opportunity that arises, whether it's a Gitable, Kuma, Gungari, Wonkamara, our responsibility as warriors belonging to that country and representing our money, our, our country, is to defend our sovereignty. 
That's our job. And if we do that within our law, on every occasion, no one in the world can judge you as being anything but defending your country, as being a warrior. Then we need more warriors. We need more stand-up warriors every day, men and women. And um, that word, if I would have spoken that word 30 years ago, I'd still be in jail. If the, the words, the language that we're allowed to use now is um, it's satisfying and it's actually a lot more direct. But if we had spoken those words, if we, if we talked like this, myself, after 82, I just was on the bike, on the south after 82, there was 10 of us that was named by Jockey Peters in Parliament here, and uh, me and my brother were one. And that if we got caught in Brisbane after the games, um, we had to undergo psychiatric assessment. And this was the order of Parliament. So there was about 10 of us. We all had to leave Queensland for about two, three years until he got voted out and we could come back. But this was the processes that um, people don't um, understand as that was going on. So in today's, in today, we need the warriors, we need people to stand up and to defend the sovereignty of First Nations people in this country. The process that, that is really unclear, and this is the last 20 years has caused this, is that the involvement of non-First Nations people and our ability to convince and to educate and make aware the non-First Nations people about their responsibilities in answering this question is something that has been purposely bastardised over the last 20 years. No fault of your own. It's been something that the MPs, the governments, the state, local governments and the education system has purposely done so it creates that gulf for the last 20 years that everyone thinks, oh, these fellows are happy with their native title process. Um, that doesn't exist. Um, what I've been doing and Doodle have been doing is that we've been going out talking to as many non-First Nations groups as possible and saying to these people, look, you call this country home now. You're calling this continent home. Whether you're Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Muslim, Middle East African, but you've come here and you've called this country home. Therefore, us as First Nations people, you know, we have a responsibility that if you're going to come and live on our country, you know the rules of the country and you know how to behave in the country. Because right now what the situation is happening is that you're coming in to a country that is occupied or is, that is being controlled by force and that, that question of sovereignty or the certainty about sovereignty and, and the doctrine of this country is un, under question. And when we talk to um, people of the, the, the new arrivals, 
we try to explain to them that there is a there is a place here in this country. It's a great country. There's a lot of wealth in the country. There's a lot of opportunity in the country, and it's it's better than dodging bullets every day from much of the homelands that they come from, and they call that civilized. Yeah, don't know when you're going to get bombed. Don't know when you're going to get shot at. Don't know when some other is going to come in and grab your, your kids, and then there must be a shopping situation. But we've lived through that. We've lived all through that, and we've still been able to hold ourselves and be able to um, approach these questions in a civilised way. Um, the, so that question of the new arrivals, what, what, what are the new arrivals? What's their role in answering this question of sovereignty? Do they want to answer the question of sovereignty? Do they want their kids to grow up in a place that's not founded on bullshit and lies? Because that's what it is. My daughter burns that flag because it's a flag of lies. That's what it is. People come up to me and they say, oh, I'm a drunk, oh, my grandfather fought under that flag. And I said, well, what war did he fought in? Oh, he went away overseas in the First World War. And I said, well, the flag didn't come in existence until 1948. Shows this is bullshit. And this is what they're trying to teach you, your kids when you swear citizenship down the road here. That flag was a contest run by the Women's Weekly, I think it was, or the Post, where there was about all these people riding with their flags, and then in 1948 they all voted. We didn't get a vote on it, but they all voted and they chose that flag. So no one bloody went to Old Glory and waved Old Glory down the street and said that they went to fight in bloody Japan or Korea over that flag. It was bullshit. Didn't have a flag. But this is what they teach them in school. It's like the story about the Union Jack. I never planned the Union Jack in Sydney. It was a Queen Mary flag because the Union Jack wasn't planned away in Yeah. And then they, didn't, then they didn't plan it on the island up there either because they got chased off the island. All the mob up there will tell them. But the thing is that that's the bullshit that they tell us. So when I say to the new Australians, this is some of the, the rubbish you've got to sort through before you can come here. And, and it is a responsibility. It's a big responsibility. And... Um, to come and participate and then be a part of the country because this country here, what, what you've got to understand from our history is that this continent, this bit of land here, this bit of land is occupied by 500 different nations. 500 different nations. That's more than sit on the United Nations. Isn't it? Now look at the United Nations. This country here, for 40,000 years, was occupied by 500 different nations. This continent. One more nation comes here and fucks the whole lot up. Fucks it up in 200 years. You know? How dangerous is that? How demented is it? And what purpose? so that a few of them can get rich and a few can get poor. But this situation, so what you've got to understand is that 500 different mobs we occupied, we occupied this continent. And um, what I say to people is that um, we manage this country. Before the last ones, the last nation arrived here, the last 
group arrived here and asserted its sovereignty, we managed and occupied and made decisions over this country, the 500 different nations around here. And, quite, and did it quite well and did it quite competently without any fuss. Our law, our law enabled us to do that. Our communication system, our infrastructure that right across the length and breadth of this country enabled 500 nations to live in peace and occupy one continent. for well over 30,000 years. That's a pretty crazy idea, eh? Right? 4,000 years and they're killing one another, threatening to drop bombs on each other around the world. Here we had something, we had something, we had some order of governance that allowed us to coexist and independently exist and then to prosper in this country. That's the question it means when I get back to sovereignty. When I, people ask me what it means, is that I want to get back to that position. I want to see us as First Nations. I don't care if they want to keep shitting on each other, they want to still kill each other, they still want to pump themselves silly with drugs and alcohol. That's their blue. If they want to do that, they can do that. But we as First Nations people and other new arrivals that want to participate in, in what we're doing want to get it back together, that's our responsibility that we owe our kids. I don't care what they do. And um, by getting on with the job of actually getting back to that stage, that order of governance, that order, where we're able to manage the country again, manage the decisions that are important to us again, is what the priority of sovereignty, why I think sovereignty is so important before I die. So that the Waka Waka mob, the Molly Molly mob, the Kuma mob, the Kalali mob can make decisions about how their lives are going to advance and not have something thrust upon them. And I guess We're a long way from that. We're a long way from it, but we're getting closer. We're getting closer. But because of the, the divisiveness of the colonial powers in terms of their programs that they want to instigate or not instigate, in terms of disruption to our communities, disruption to our, our families, these are, are Cold War tactics that have been repeated in many colonial situations around the world numerous times over. And we've got to be aware that that's happening to us every day. Once you're aware that something's happening to you every day, then you can do something about it. I guess the best example of that at the moment is where we have a group of people calling themselves the Congress, the, and this is the most stupid, ridiculous thing that I've ever heard of in my life is that, I'm well, not really, I've heard other things. <laughs> but at the present, this is tops my list at the moment, is that the government, when it sacked ATSIC, and then it turned around and it got 900 people together 
and it gave him $28 million and said to him, go away and create a, a voice of your, your people. Go away and create a, a, some order of governance or, or committee around the thing that represents every nation around the country. And when you do it, um, you can, your members are only allowed to sign up as in, individuals and it's got to be run in a democratic process. And that's the key word, democratic process, because that's my example of democracy around the world is that it's just another word for fraud, where people can come in, start a war, take over your country if you've got oil, or um, go good opium, or um, good hashes, or um, got a plenty of fish, or um, plenty of minerals in the ground. And it seems like um, democracy is just another word for fraud and invasion. And um, we've seen examples of that all around the world. And for our people, and um, for First Nations people, um, democracy don't work. We have our own law. We have our own ways of authorisation. And to have 900 people given $28 million and say, go and create um, a body that this government can initiate programs and authorise programs to is an absolute bullshit. I could get 900 people together, but they're not going to give me $28 million. There's no way. But they are saying at the moment that there's 4,000 members that represent the Congress and that those 4,000 people are the reflection of a half a million blackfellas in this country. You know? Not even one percent. Not even. It's not even one percent. But this is the extremes that the colonial powers, the, the dominant society, will go to to avoid us getting back to that state of mind where we were, where we were managing and governing this country as 500 independent nations. These are the real examples of what they will do to separate and divide us on an everyday basis. Some real examples that we do to bring us back to that is the things like we do, we set up embassies. We set up the embassies, we start talking up our law. We go, we have ceremonies again. We practice our religion again. The things that are, are the same as any other country, we have our religion, we have our law, we have our language and we have our land. The same as anything else. If you look at the United Nations Declaration of what is a nation, we have all those elements. The question of sovereignty for non-First Nations people is a, is a question of justice. It is a question of dishonour and it's a question of um, dis disengagement and and I guess it's, 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 a, it's a deception for, for non-First Nations people. The whole idea of you people accepting the bullshit that they give us, give you, it astounds me. Um, and um, you wouldn't tell that to your children and you wouldn't expect your children to say it. But here a government says to you, that for 150 years they told your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather this land is terra nullius. 
They use all the NWs, use all the There was no one here, no one was here, and there was no lights on, there was nothing. So we just came in and took the country. And so I've got Packer and Murdoch running around and all their kids in Mercedes and everything. Well, we just came along here, it was here, we just kept it. Um, you know, Terranalius, oh, how did you come down? Oh, he was Terranalius. We all heard it, right? 20 years ago, in their own court, five Murray Islanders got up there and put the question to the rest of the country, and those six judges said, Terranalius doesn't exist. It's wrong. We're wrong. We're wrong. It's like saying to your kids, you know, telling your kids um, a, a lie for five or six generations that that wasn't their mother, that wasn't their father. They're adopted. And then all of a sudden it gets come out and that you're proven wrong. But this is what the question was. Terranalius didn't exist. Right? Now, if that lie, if that was one of your children that told you that lie for that long, don't you have a responsibility then to tell them the truth? Don't you? Don't you? Well, this government has told you nothing. They didn't try to give you another reason of how they occupied the country. They didn't come out and say, oh, bullshit, you caught me out on Terranalius. I'm going to tell you the truth now. We stole it. You know, they didn't say that. They didn't say that to nobody. If I was a taxpaying non-Indigenous Australian, I'd be saying, you owe me a fucking reason why you did this to me and my kids. You owe me, you owe my grandkids, you owe my, my nephews, my nieces, an explanation of why you told us a lie for 150 years. But if the Catholic Church is any example, they don't give a shit about it. They put up with people, they put up with the lies. So the onus is what I say to the challenges to non-Indigenous people, get them to tell you how they occupy the country now. They're responsible to tell you if Terranalius doesn't exist, how do we now have dominion over this country? They owe it to you. They owe it to everybody. We, as First Nations people, couldn't give a shit how they think they own this country. Because they don't. We already know who owns the country. We already know how we inherit the country. My children know how they inherit the country. My grandchildren will know how they inherit the country. We don't need the explanation, but multinational Australia does. The school teacher teaching grade five at Dinmore State Primary School does. We don't need it, they do. And when that question is asked, then we can start talking about other things like reconciliation, about coexistence, about respect. That's when you can start tackling those things. Because until that, that question is answered, and I haven't met many lawyers, but you know, maybe one day a lawyer's going to take it up where those five Murray Islanders never got a chance to ask the next question. And I spent a lot of time with Quickie at uni in the early days. And um, 
If he was alive, he would have asked that question. He would have got up straight after that was found that Terry Nullius didn't exist. He would have demanded that they now give him the reason of how they occupy this country. He would have demanded, and I know he would have demanded, he would have said, well, okay, if Terra Nullius doesn't exist anymore, you tell me now how you occupy this country. You tell me now how you have dominion over my island. He would have said that. But there was a lot of dogs that went straight running after Keating and said, we'll get you out of this mess, boss. Noel Pearson, the Dodson brothers, Lois O'Donoghue, all the Atsik-appointed goats. What do you think they came up with Atsik in, in, in 12 months' time so they could answer this question? And that's what they delivered on. You don't have to answer the question. No one will worry about it. We'll create this native title process. And then they'll be too busy worrying about fucking native title to worry about answering the question about Terra Nullius. And it worked. 20 years, all our families, all our tribes, all they can worry about is that who's got native title over the area? Who's walking the line? Who's getting this? Who's getting that? Who's speaking for country? And it's all bullshit. Because native title, as Martha said, it's shit. We don't need... The onus of proof was never on us to prove how we own the country. The onus of proof is always on the last person to come here. The dominant society, their government, the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth has a responsibility to answer that question. How they have dominion over this country. Simple. We expect our kids to tell us the truth. We expect them to tell you the truth. Simple. The native title process, as everyone has said, we've been saying it, when native title was the illusion developed by the Jackie Jackies and the Keating government to not answer the question. Many of us, many of the warriors that are land rights warriors, we saw through it in the first days and we told them, native title is not land rights. Native title is not our birthright. Land rights is our birthright. If you're born to that land and your blood comes from that land, you have rights unalienable rights other than other people that are new arrivals. In the civil rights movement, we used to have to say, oh, we're the same as you. But what we were actually saying is that we are human too. You can't shoot us anymore. You can't down, come down and pinch my sisters and take them away up the bush and rape them. You can't sneak down after night and do it. What we were saying back in those days, because it was a situation where you had to defend your family, is that we were human too. But what we were saying in this case, here now, is this is our birthright. Sovereignty is our birthright. If you trace your heritage back to, to, to where your ancestors come from, that's your birthright. They are inalienable rights given to you by your Creator. And they are rights that come with responsibilities that you are meant to carry out through your law. Our law, what we do, 
and how our warriors accept their law and how they choose to practice those laws today is called self-determination. When you wake up in the morning and you decide to get out of bed or you decide not to get out of bed, that's self-determination. That's what it is. Because you're a free man, you're a free woman, that's what you decide to do. Our law, when it comes to our decisions and our practices, our law is our law that's given to us. So, I guess, where we go and how we get back to that situation that I described earlier, how we as 500 nations around this country get back to that table and we allow the new arrivals to take a seat at that table too, to decide how the, this country is to be managed into the future and how people can live in a just and have a just reason for living in this country. Because the, the, re, the rationale under Terranolius wasn't a just reason. You owe it to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to, to settle the question of sovereignty in this country. And it has to be a just reason of how they, they occupy this country and how they coexist in the future. But to get to there, it, it, it is, and I make no apologies for it, is that there is a Cold War that goes on at the moment and there's good people and there's bad people. And um, the confrontation, the bullshit and the um, illusionist policies have to be met with, with confrontation on every avenue and every step. Otherwise, it's like, um, it's like um, a pox that just um, infests and keeps growing and, and causes a lot of uh, grief. But um, I believe, I guess, if the question, if the sovereignty question is taken out and is put back out there, um, it, it, it was it was killed, it was tried to be killed, it tried to be outlawed by Aboriginal Australia in the last 20 years. And I say that with no word of a lie. It's been our own people, I call it the last 20 years, it's been the time of the gatekeepers. This last 20 years has been the time of the gatekeepers. And they haven't been white gatekeepers, they've been black. And they've been paid a lot of money as senior public servants and advisors to keep that gate closed. And that gate was a sovereignty gate. The only gate they had open was a gate called Native Title. The sovereignty gate has been closed, it's been closed for resources, it's only been now in the last two years that the sovereignty gate has been opened. And once enough people walk through that gate, down in Sydney, down in Canberra, here in Brisbane, here today, the more people that keep that gate open, the more chance we have to have that question answered. But the gatekeeper, the gatekeepers, the last rows of the gatekeepers are the Congress. Are those people in Congress? I put it to the Congress board. I said, you've got all these resources, why don't you create a Congress of First Nations and not a Congress of individuals? They have the ability to do it, but they choose not to. Because for many of them, if they had to go back to their own mobs, their own nations, they wouldn't be allowed to talk. They'd be told to sit over there in the corner. Many of them are small boys 
the small men with no responsibility. And they only put up there through a democratic process where they're elected by 4,000 other like-minded people. But our law is a law that can never be tampered with because it's a law that enabled 500 nations to live and manage this country from the first sunrise. But thank you for your time. Yeah.